hello, it's Jacob Hill with GRC Academy. I'm here with Mr. Rick Rosenberry. Rick, how are you today? Doing pretty good. How are you? Good. Doing well. Doing well. Thank you for coming on. Tell us about yourself, Rick. How'd you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I've been in insurance for a while. I started at a small firm that specialized in manufacturing and international, and I kind of cut my teeth in the insurance world. And then I got introduced to the Pacific Northwest Defense Coalition and started learning more about government compliance and CMMC and all of these evolving things. And so that's kind of drove me down the path of trying to become an expert in specifically cyber insurance and how to really operationalize that and how to make it work well with your regulation and also make it cost less. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So what is cyber insurance? How would you describe it? Cyber insurance, just like any other insurance policy, is built to help you to get back to normal after an incident. So it should cover all the aspects of the people that you've impacted, how that's impacted your business, and then your ability to respond to your regulatory or other verification requirements. Interesting. What are some common misconceptions about cyber insurance? A couple of years ago, I would hear a lot that like, I don't, I don't believe in cyber insurance because I don't want to pay the bad guys. You know, I want to pay out ransomware. And so a lot of people think that cyber insurance is just a small pool of money. But what it really is, other than that insurance side, is a logistics team. It's access to a team of professionals at pre-negotiated rates that really know how to help you through an incident. You're leveraging their logistics and ecosystem. That's very interesting. Can you describe the key roles involved in cyber insurance? Yeah. So as far as the people that are involved, you have the client and they're working with a insurance agent or broker, and then they help you to work with the underwriter. The broker's working with the client to help tell the story, uh, who they are, what they're doing, how they're protecting themselves. And then the underwriter is there to balance the risk mm. to what controls need to be in place. And then they place the insurance with an insurance carrier. Interesting. What would a typical cyber insurance policy pay for? The bigger pieces are with the forensics. So mm. In order to have somebody come in and investigate, it pays for a breach coach that walks you through the process of an incident and helps negotiate the PR that's involved. It also helps you to know how to reach out to clients, who you need to reach out to, what government bodies you need to notify. There's the business income piece of that. So not being able to operate because this has impacted you. There's a part of the insurance policy that pays to make sure that you're whole from that loss of income. And that can also be from a third party potentially that had a breach that you rely on. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. You mentioned underwriters and how they do an assessment. Is there a standard that they use to assess a business's cyber risk? There isn't anything that's standardized. Every carrier usually has their own application and many carriers will use other insurance companies' applications they think that are either equal or maybe slightly better than theirs. There's a lot of e-insurance carriers in the cyberspace right now. And what that really means is usually they have technologies and tools to help underwrite. And so several more scanning your external environment. So it's a non-intrusive scan and it's everything that a bad actor would be able to see. If they looked into your system, you know, what VPN are you using? And so they're using that as a baseline to underwrite. And that's a lot more common. 
I was filling out a questionnaire that a cyber insurance company sent to us, and I was really impressed with the amount of technical detail in there. What focus areas do businesses typically struggle with? It really depends on what industry are you in, but a lot of times it's operationalizing controls. So you, you maybe you have something on paper where, you know, do you have MFA or remote access controls? So that is one thing I see people struggle with. A lot of times it's just getting everybody on board. And I think the policies and procedures side of that is what companies are struggling with now. And then the other side of that would be knowing who to trust. So if you're a non-technical business owner and you're trying to find somebody to help you through these, how do I know the money that I'm going to be paying this person is going to move the needle? There's always more money you could spend, but what's going to move the needle for my business and help me to be more secure? And right. so that trust, I think, is another piece. Are any focus areas required to gain coverage? Because it seems like what's common is they want to see multi-factor authentication in place. Would that be a requirement to gain coverage? Are there any others that are so critical that if you don't have it implemented, they'll just deny you off the bat? For most carriers, table stakes are multi-factor authentication, at least through email and through admin controls, backups that are segmented. Carriers are looking for a VPN or how are you doing mobile workforce? How are you making that work? And then employee training is a big one that's usually pretty easy. And a lot of carriers actually provide free employee training now because they know that that's such a big issue. Yeah. The backups is a very good point for my NIST 800-171 and CMMC friends, because as you know, NIST 800-171 is not focused on availability. Yeah. So it doesn't have backup requirements, but your cyber insurance carrier might. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. What security standards are recognized by most underwriters? So it really depends on the company and the individual underwriter. The only frameworks that you'll see come up consistently across the board are HIPAA and PCI compliance for the payment card industry. But besides those, if you're looking at any of the ISO standards, NERCSIP for energy, it depends on the individual underwriter. And so that's kind of on the broker side, understanding the client and knowing what they're complying with and helping to educate the underwriters to know that this is a valuable framework that the company is complying to. And this is why you should give us a better deal or this is why we should be afforded more coverage. So providing your ISO 27001 certificate won't get you out of filling out that questionnaire, the security portion of it, but it could help you get a lower rate perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. And if there's several businesses that are the same, they have the ISO certificate, there's opportunity to really educate that underwriter and to eliminate lots of questions on the application and increase coverages that are really specifically needed in that industry. So Rick, you as the broker, I'm sensing that picking the right broker is very important. Do the customers actually interact with the underwriter at all? So usually, no. The broker is the in-between the client and the underwriter and the industry knowledge and the ability to let the underwriter know what the client's doing. I feel like that's really important and it's helped me to gain a lot of success, especially in the DOD space or in medical, because I really get in the weeds with cybersecurity and can talk the talk. And so when we're talking about the compliance, you have to be able to understand it. And so that's what we try to do is to make it 
understandable to the underwriter and give them what they need in order to feel comfortable. Because any kind of, I'm not quite sure about that, you know, any gray area is just increased rate. If you can really make it clear and solid and they understand that this is a proactive company that's doing what they can, that's how you get the best. So folks, make sure that you pick the right broker. It sounds like it's very important to have somebody who understands if you have an ISO 27001 certificate or your NIST 800171 compliant or CMMC certified when that comes out. If the underwriter doesn't know what that means and your broker doesn't either, it may not help you. So make sure that you speak with someone who understands all of these things. And remembering that the agent that sells you the policy and you go that process, that's also the agency or the broker that you're working with because if a building burns down, people have been doing that for years and years and years and it's really cut and dry. It's like, hey, well, the building's not there anymore. But when it comes to business income interruption for cyber, a lot of that isn't really cut and dry and it's open for interpretation to prove business interruption and to work through that process of having a claim where, you know, you may be a little bit more on your own. In a lot of cases, you know, for the broker side on your own, if you do have a claim because they just don't understand. That's very interesting. Thank you. The DOJ launched its civil cyber fraud initiative that will be used to prosecute companies who misrepresent their cybersecurity compliance posture. If that happens, would a cyber insurance policy cover the fines for that? Yeah, so I can give you the traditional answer of it depends. I'm not guaranteeing anybody coverage, but I will try to get in the weeds of this. So you have regulatory protection coverage in most policies. One of the ways that the False Claims Act through the cyber fraud initiative would find you is through an incident or a breach that you had. And then that litigation leads to investigation, which sometimes will lead to companies that thought they had a certain amount of controls in place, but maybe they didn't understand some of these controls. And so they get hit with penalties. In many cases, as long as you don't have a False Claims Act exclusion on your policy. I try to avoid government intervention exclusions on policies as well, which is something that when I'm going through 50 pages, I find those things out. But the other ways that you may end up getting caught up with false claims is if somebody leaves your company and then they report you, they can make 15 and 30 percent penalty. And some companies have been hit with around nine million dollar penalties. A whistleblower claim would not be based on a breach. And so you may have a hard time having your cyber policy activate, but there may be coverage under a director's and officer's policy. If you're working with federal government, that's something that I help my clients to look at to protect the people that are making decisions Mm -hmm. in the organization. The other way would be a bid protest. So another contractor saying, no, this business isn't doing what they say they're doing. And that would start an investigation. Wow. Well, what I'm hearing is that I shouldn't just go on a random website and buy cyber insurance. (laughs) There's a lot of variables. Yeah, absolutely. How could a business ensure they're properly insured to account for DFARS 252-204-7012's incident reporting clauses? When you look at the DFARS clause, there are a lot of pieces that are on the client's or on your responsibility for forensics for doing that investigation and working with the DOD. It starts with the underwriting of the policy. So making sure you don't have exclusions for government intervention 
And then the other side of that is, is really what I've been focusing on is operationalizing the policy. So when you set it up, usually most insurance companies will have a panel that you can choose from. And you want to make sure that the panel provider that you're using understands your requirements, what you need to report, and then the forensic investigation firm that they choose. You want to make sure that they have the same qualifications that you're moving towards. And it's not as common as you would think. I have a few counsels and some firms lined up for non-classified, for classified, and for companies that need clearance. And then you take that policy and then marry that with your incident response plan and how your organization is going to respond to an incident. So the policy should be there to empower what you have worked on with your consultants mm -hmm. and put together. So I'm a, I'm a registered practitioner with mm -hmm. the CMMC AB. And so that's part of what I kind of be that in between, between the consultant and you and the cyber policy and make sure everything's works. Wow. This was a lot more complicated than I thought it was. Just call Rick, folks. <laughs> He'll help you out. Anything yeah. else? It's not as difficult as it sounds. I do this every day. And so I help clients through and it's all broken down into smaller questions. It doesn't take that much time. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will wait to get cyber insurance. Now is the time to get a policy to make sure it's covered. So it just starts with a connection and starts with a review. If it's a fit, then we move forward. But yeah, it just it starts with a conversation. Excellent. Where can people find you, Rick? Yeah. So if you search Rick Rosenberry on LinkedIn, I'm the number one that comes up. You can also find me at my first dot last name, rick.rosenberry at usi.com. So that's my email. Be Excellent. happy to respond to anybody with questions. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been really informative. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I enjoyed being on the show.